Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Welcome to episode 98 of the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. We realised that my credit limit had been reduced from £10,900 to £250. I mean, imagine if you were on holiday or an expensive medical bill to pay or something like that, you really would be in trouble. I think there's sort of more insidious way they get information that sort of arrived data and that's just where an agency might make guesses about your circumstances. I think lenders have to be very upfront and clear with consumers about what happens with their information, particularly their, their credit information that is shared and how those lending decisions are made. This week, with our brilliant money regulars, Jenny Ross and Gareth Shaw, we have a bumper episode on credit scores. We'll be delving into how credit score agencies collect your data and the so-called gender credit score gap, as well as how yours could be lowered through no fault of your own, and of course, how to give your credit score a boost. We are which. Just last week, Barclaycard announced a change that caused quite an uproar on social media. From the end of May, it's going to be slashing over 100,000 customers' credit card limits, with some people facing cuts of over 90%. Now, why Barclaycard has done this and your rights as a customer, we'll get onto later. But it raises a very interesting point about credit scores, because a move like this could bring yours down through no fault of your own. I should say that many customers have reported Barclaycard is cutting their limit even though they haven't missed any payments and have steady finances. Gareth and Jenny, there's there's a lot of murkiness around this topic and we'll be unpacking some of these big questions today. But first, can we rewind a bit? What do we mean when we talk about your credit score and how is it relevant to our personal finances today? Well, I know it's never nice to think of people as numbers, but in the world of credit scoring, that's basically exactly what happens. Uh, So the best way to see your credit score is essentially as, as a measure of your financial health. And it is designed to give you a better idea of how you might be seen in the eyes of lenders. They are generated by organisations you might not know an awful lot about. Um, They are known as credit reference agencies. And uh, the numbers are based on all of the information these credit reference agencies hold about you. So essentially, a higher score means a higher chance that you'll be accepted when making an application for credit products, uh, whether that's a loan, a mortgage, uh, even things like mobile phone contracts. Um, But the really crucial thing to to remember here is that it is just 
a measure. It's no, it's no guarantee because um, each lender that you apply to will be using its own assessment criteria to look at your application. Um, it's not the credit reference agency ultimately that decides whether or not you're going to be accepted um, for that particular product. And this, this is a sort of a hell of a lot of confusion, really. You know, you'll often hear people saying, "Oh, but I've got a perfect credit score and I was rejected uh, for for this credit card for this loan." What's even more uh, confusing is that each of the three main credit reference agencies in the UK, uh, they use a different scoring system. So you probably have three completely different numbers uh, for your credit score. So, for example, a score of 555 with Experian might be considered very poor because its maximum goes all the way up to 999. But with TransUnion, which has a maximum of 710, it would be poor. And with Equifax, uh, which gives you a score out of 700, it would actually be considered excellent. That is not all that helpful. Um, it's easy to, to see why people are left feeling perplexed. But the thing to remember is that the factors that influence your score and have a bearing on whether or not you're going to be uh, successful for a particular application they they are the same across the board. So what I would uh, advise is that instead of fixating on your score, what you should do is familiarise yourself with your credit report, which is basically the repository for all of the information uh, that lenders take into consideration and that your score is based on. And you are going to have a credit report if you are over 18 and you have ever taken out a credit agreement, whether that's an overdraft, a mortgage, a mobile phone contract, as I say, absolutely everyone, whether or not you're you're about to apply for, for a credit product, can benefit from checking their report regularly. But when uh, when Witch looked at this uh, a couple of years ago, we found that four in 10 people never have done that. They've never checked their credit report. Uh, not only is that going to uh, put you in a better position to take action that could improve your chances of getting accepted for credit, it could also um, help you to pick up on things that could scupper you like potentially even fraudulent applications made in your name so it really pays to to get to grips with yes what is what is a slightly perplexing and and, and murky world um and and put you in a better financial position and to create this elusive credit score then what information do companies like Experian and Equifax hold about you and where do they get it from here's which journalist Rena Saraz with more on this the information comes from numerous sources, really, but um, broadly, they get them from two main places. So the industry <laughs> as a catch-all thing, but, um, you know, so any firms you have a financial relationship with, so your your current account provider, your credit card provider, just anyone you've got a financial relationship with. Um, but it could even be your, your energy provider and whoever supplies your mobile phone if you've got a contract phone. So that's one one source of information. They they can also take publicly available data. So um, that's sort of information that's freely available. Uh, and that's stuff like the electoral roll, who's registered on that, and court documents as well. But I think there's a sort of third, more insidious way. They get information that's sort of derived data. Uh, and that's just where an agency might make guesses about your circumstances. So Potentially, if you have a, um, a financial connection for a joint account, they might assume you've got a partner. And that's sort of a good guess on their part. 
Can we pick up on Rena's point there about derived data? Because say you have a joint bank account, this could mean you're in a relationship with that person or that you're using it to split bills in a shared house or any number of things. So should credit reference agencies really be making any kinds of assumptions like this about you? And actually, should they be tracking your every financial move at all? Gareth, it must raise concerns about security too. Of course, they are handling the most sensitive financial data that exists about us. So its security needs to be absolutely brilliant. Mm. You may not remember, but a few years ago, Equifax was in deep, deep trouble because it was hacked and um, a database with millions and millions of consumers' data was uh, exposed. So that can um, show the severity of uh, a lapse in security for a credit reference agency. I, I get the concern, Lucia, I really do. But I, th- I do think it's important to say that credit reference agencies actually play a really vital role. They help lenders ensure that they are lending responsibly to somebody that is in the right position to borrow money, that can afford it, that hasn't had issues with uh, repaying debt in the past. Because if lenders do that, if they lend irresponsibly, you know, over a prolonged period, let's think back to 2007, 2008, where reckless lending to people that couldn't really afford to borrow um, led to a global financial meltdown. So credit reference agencies are a useful tool for lenders. They also act as a kind of identity verification service as well. So Jenny was just talking about fraudulent applications. A credit reference agency would be able to weed out Um, through the data it supplies to a lender would be able to help weed out a fraudulent application. And I think that's a really important protection for lenders who, you know, would be on the hook, but also for consumers as well, whose identity might be being used to to take out money and, and that has consequences for them. I think also they are important for you too. Yes, they hold a huge amount of your data, but think of a world without a credit reference agency, which really pulls together, you know, all of your uh, financial records you might take for granted that you you know you pay your mobile phone off each month you pay your car insurance each month you've got a bank account all of those things help kind of boost your credit attractiveness your credit worthiness to a lender and then they package all of that up and supply that to a lender so it's a real streamlined process imagine applying for a loan and you had to list out every single direct debit you had with that lender in order to uh, in order to get through the application process it would take weeks so you know credit reference agencies can play a really important role but I think you're right that there are legitimate concerns about the amount of data that they hold and also what they do with that data. You know, all of the credit reference agencies package up your data, they anonymize it, and then they sell it to companies for marketing purposes. So they can target, you know, buckets of people with similar interests, similar financial habits uh, with their products and services. Now, uh, they are making money off the back of your data. It's perfectly legal and hundreds of millions of pounds are made off the back of it. Is that really the right thing to do? I mean, that's down to yeah, individual regulators across the world to decide. So credit reference agencies hold this mass of data on us all. But how transparent is this side of the industry? Here's my producer, Rob, raising this point with John Webb, Consumer Affairs Executive at Experian. 
We hold credit information that's voluntarily shared to us by lenders, but everyone has the right to access that information for free. And getting that information, by the way, is what's called your statutory credit report. And you can get it from Experian and all the credit reference agencies as well. And we also offer anyone their free credit score experience so they can keep an eye on the monthly progress to see how their score, you know, kind of goes up or down or spot any blips that they might want to check on as well. And importantly as well, in terms of support services, I think really important to know that we offer a lot of support. If anyone wants to query anything on a credit report or they're victims of fraud, we offer a lot of support and can help liaise with lenders about that as well. So I think lots of support services we offer to help take anyone through the journey of understanding more and taking control of their finances. You, you just mentioned there the, you know, obviously the, the the voluntary sharing of information from from lenders to yourselves. Do you think that that's kind of well publicised enough that the lenders are passing on your information if you were a consumer? I, I believe we've always been very transparent and clear that the information we get from lenders is shared voluntarily. And we've spoken about that uh, on lots of occasions. And I think lenders have to be very upfront and clear with consumers about what happens with their information, particularly their, their credit information that is shared and how those lending decisions are made. Let's get into some of the details of what can push your score up or drive it down. And can we start by bringing it back to the Barclay Card story that sparked up our conversation today? Barclay Card hasn't released the exact number of people affected, but it did say over 100,000 people will be getting their credit card limit cut. We've been speaking to one of these customers, Leon, who told us his credit would be cut by a huge 98%. I sort of got the usual letter from the bank and I thought, oh, this is just going to talk about interest rates and everything. And I tend to put them to one side to look at later. My partner, who's very hot on this, said, you must read this. And uh, we realised that my credit limit had been reduced from £10,900 to £250. All of a sudden, they said it will be, you know, introduced at the end of the month. And I thought, blimey, you know, I've been with them for over 40 years. This was happening to loads of people. I thought it was just happening to me because I'm coming up to retirement. I'm a bit fed up. I mean, as a customer over 40 years, you know, being held hostage to fortune, really, in terms of uh, having your credit limit threatened to be cut. I mean, imagine if you were on holiday or you had um, an expensive medical bill to pay or something like that, and this kicked in, you really would be in trouble because £250 is nothing, really, when you think about it. If you're on a, uh, you know, abroad and you just had to get back because, you know, you had to attend a funeral or something, you know, any of those scenarios, you are really a hostage to fortune. They made a decision without, you know, talking to anyone, consulting anyone. So Jenny, aside from the issue of having your access to money cut, Leon gives some fine examples there. Can you explain how this move from Barclay Card could have a negative effect on its customers' credit scores? Yeah, the obvious impact, as as Leon has pointed out, there is is the inconvenience and the huge potential stress of suddenly having a lot less access to credit than you were expecting. But it is true that it also has the potential to knock your credit score. And that's because over-reliance on credit is a real alarm bell for lenders. So, you know, taking Leon's case, if he had had a balance of £250 on his card when the limit was uh, £10,900. That would represent a really small usage of, of just over 2%. But now that the limit is being cut 
to £250, all of a sudden he's using 100% of the credit available to him. So that can... That can, yeah, trigger a bit of a red flag for for lenders. Um, Experian actually says that if you're borrowing more than 90% of your credit card limit, that will take your score down by 50. Um, And it advises that really the sweet spot, um, what you should be aiming for is to keep your balance within 30% of your limit, which if you've only only got a limit of £250, that is hardly anything. I would advise people in in Leon's situation not not to panic completely. I mean... There are many more factors at play when lenders are um, making decisions about whether to lend to you. They are going to be taking into account your credit situation across the board. So they're going to be looking at usage across all of your accounts to um, to determine your overall credit usage. So if you have other cards or other loans with uh, with larger balances, then that will go some way towards uh, sort of balancing out the effect of of this huge credit limit cut that that Barclay Card is making. If if you are in a position where you have very few credit products elsewhere, then um, unfortunately, this this could take quite a toll. Um, not not only is having a high credit usage a uh, seen negatively by lenders, but also having having a low credit limit for Experian, having a credit limit of two hundred and fifty pounds or less will will knock forty uh, points off your score. So it's definitely something to bear in mind. Obviously, the first thing that's going to spring to mind is thinking oh gosh, you know, I was planning to pay for X, Y, and Z and suddenly I can't do that because Barclay Card has taken away that facility. But also once you've got over that uh, that hurdle, do take stock, look at the rest of your report and just keep an eye on on how your score is looking um, and, uh, and take steps to, to boost that if you can. We should also say that we asked Barclay Card to comment on the issues we've discussed today and it told us we have a duty of care to our customers to make sure their credit limits are affordable so that they are able to manage their borrowing effectively. It also added, and I quote, if customers feel they can afford a higher limit than communicated, we ask they get in touch with us so we can review our assessment. And there should have been details in Barclay Card's correspondence to you. And now, Gareth, in addition to the credit card limit examples we've just heard there from Jenny, can you give us a breakdown of some of the other factors that can impact your score and by how much? Yeah, we've got a really helpful breakdown here, actually. So I'll start with the positive. Keeping your credit card balance below the th- uh, 30% of the limit. Now, according to Experian, that could boost your score by 90 points. Keeping your credit card balance below £50, that could boost your score by 60 points. Not opening a new account for six months, that gives you another 50 points. Registering on the electoral roll, that gives you another 50 points. Successfully paying for car insurance monthly rather than annually, and that gives you a 20-point boost. So, That's the positives. That's how you could jack up your score. What reduces your score? So having a credit card limit of £250 or less, um, that indicates that you're on a kind of credit builder credit card that will knock down your score of uh, by 40 points. Opening a new bank account with an overdraft uh, in the last six months, that will knock 40 points off your score. Having more than £15,000 worth of debt on a credit card, another 50 points off for that. Borrowing more than 90% of the limit on a credit card, that will knock 50 points off. Missing a payment on a credit card or loan, that will see 130 points knocked off your score. Receiving a county court judgment, a CCJ, that knocks 250 points off your score. 
and defaulting on an account. So that means you've missed a series of payments and it's marked as a default formally. That will knock 350 points off your score. So it's well worth understanding what different activities will do and um, what the consequences are of um, missing payments because they're quite severe. Just to reiterate, this data about how many points you gain or lose for certain activities is from Experian. They supplied this data to us, but the the factors would be similar no matter what uh, credit reference agency you're looking at. So these activities, you know, the good ones will boost your score, the bad ones will knock down your score, but by how much will depend on the individual credit reference agencies. The ones I've just referenced are from um, Experian. And on this point of what makes a good or bad score, there was some research published this week that said women on average have lower credit scores than men. And as a result, they pay nearly 17 grand more to borrow. Now, we've all heard of the gender pay gap, but Credit Karma, which is the credit score provider that published the research, calls this the gender credit score gap. Denny, can you tell us more and what do you make of it? Yeah, I I guess it, it shouldn't be all that surprising. We've, you know, as you say, Lucia, we are all aware of, of the um, gender pay gap that sadly still persists. Mm. But this research suggests that the disparity in credit scores between men and women. Um, so I think for women, on average, it's uh, 652 uh, with Credit Karma. And for men, it's 705. So you know, it's a, f- a fairly significant difference. That is looking like it's it boils down to societal factors more so than uh, than financial, because one of the biggest factors behind this this difference is actually women not having financial products in their own name. So, in that sense, it, it does it does kind of surprise me, and I get I guess that's skewed by my approach to to finances and managing finances with 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 my partner you know we sort of split things 50 50 if anything I'm probably the one who um who manages the finances more I guess Mm. understandably given uh, given my job but um the the research here shows that around a third of women have some or all of their financial agreements in their partner's name and also that they are less likely to have credit cards, mortgages, and loans than than men. So, I mean, it does feel like a bit of a, a bit of a throwback. You might you you might not expect that that uh, that way of managing finances is is so common nowadays. But but clearly, it does it does happen. And I think it's a really important reminder that not having any credit agreements in your own name really means that you don't you essentially don't have a credit history. And it's a common misconception that 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 could mean, you know, that you are a bit of a blank canvas in in the eyes of the the lenders. You know, you haven't got any uh, any negatives against your name. So there's no reason why you couldn't access credit in future. But actually having a thin or non-existent credit file can be just as uh, detrimental as having a poor credit history where you've maybe had, you know, a record of, of multiple missed payments, because basically lenders just are in the dark about about your credit worthiness. They don't know how uh, likely you are to to repay what they lend you, and so taking a cautious approach, they they might be far less inclined to uh, to offer you credit credit facilities. So, yeah, I think I think you know it's a bit of a wake up call for for anyone who might be in that situation to just look at okay, how many credit agreements do I have in my name, and is there anything I can do to to start building up this 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 record of responsible borrowing 
if you have never used credit and that's um you know a, a potential blocker from from getting access to it one option is to think about applying for what's known as a credit builder credit card which are products that are specifically designed for people with either a poor or limited credit history they tend to have much lower credit limits and higher APRs than standard cards because of the fact that you you represent um that bit more risk uh, but if you pay off your balance in full every month then you'll be able to avoid those interest charges and steadily build up that that record of, of successful repayments other striking finding from credit karma's research is that women are more likely than men to say they don't know what their credit score is so there's potentially a, an issue around sort of lack of engagement there but i think i think that's probably true across the board really I don't think we can we can pin that all on women as I mentioned at the top four in ten people have never checked their credit report so again just just another nudge to everyone to to get to grips with it and 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 um and see see where they stand in the eyes of lenders and further to this then Gareth what do you recommend for keeping a good credit score I've saved this confession to the end, but I actually haven't checked mine since I got a mortgage and that was nearly four years ago. So how often should you check and is there an upkeep we should be doing? Lucia, that's very naughty. You should be checking your credit uh, reports frequently. I'd say every six months, um, maybe even every quarter. It's not the kind of thing you want to check every single day of the week. Um but you often when you've signed up to a credit reference agency, that they notify you um, that there has been a change. That can often be a helpful prompt to go and see what's gone on. It might be that, you know, um, say you've got a loan or, or a credit card with a direct debit set up to repay it. You know, you, you've paid off so much, you've reached so many repayments that you've had a, a score boost. Or you might have done, I don't know, a search for a, a loan, a soft search, which just kind of checks your basic data rather than, um, you know, records an application on your credit report. And that would be flagged as well. So it is worth checking it frequently. I would say quarterly, um, you could do it more frequently. The, the big tip for me is just watching out how much credit that you've got. So you can have, as Jenny was saying, not enough credit and, and kind of credit history. You can also have too much. Um, so I have used balance transfer cards a lot over the years. And what happens is I transfer a balance. I pay that off over time via a direct debit. And then I tend to keep the credit card. Um, and, and what's happened now is I've got 30, 40, 50,000 pounds worth of credit that I'm not using. Now, in the eyes of a lender, that looks quite dangerous. It looks like any moment I could go out on a um, shopping spree and go and bust all of that credit. And I could be a risk to them in the future. So you, you want to think about the credit that you have and what you're actually planning to use. And what you might want to do is then cancel a credit card. I say that with a caveat, though, because your credit lenders and your credit uh, score like to see a kind of long history of relationships with uh, credit companies. So what you don't want to do is get rid of a credit card, perhaps where you've got a five or 10 year relationship with them that could potentially harm your score in the future. So you need to think carefully about, you know, which credit you're going to close off and how long that relationship's been. It, it's, it's more of an art rather than a science, really. But perhaps think of the most recent balance transfer credit card, if that's the case that you're in. 
the most recent one that you had, you've paid it off, you don't need that credit anymore, that might be the one that you close down. And you keep hold of some credit cards that perhaps you're not using anymore, but you've got a long relationship with that firm. So if you start checking your credit score regularly, say quarterly, like you said, Gareth, what kind of costs is associated with this? Can it be free? Do you have to pay for a subscription? You can pay for a subscription um, for access to added analysis, extra bits of monitoring alerts and so on. But uh, no, the good news is, is that if you just want to access your report and score from each of the three main credit reference agencies, it's absolutely free to do so. So no excuse at all for, for not keeping on top of them. For your Experian credit score, you can get access to that uh, through a free Experian account, but that doesn't include your credit report. Uh, to be able to access both your Experian credit report and score, uh, you can sign up to the Money Saving Expert Credit Club. To see the information Equifax holds about you for free, just go to clearscore.com. And for TransUnion, the third main credit reference agency, it's creditkarma.co.uk. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Witch Money Podcast. If you've got a comment or question on anything we've mentioned today, please let us know in the comments wherever you're listening to the podcast or on social media at Witch Money. And as always, for more money news and advice, head to witch.co.uk forward slash money. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was produced and edited by Rob Lilly with additional support from Ian Aikman and Kim Carver. 